Introducing Coco Golf's signature shoe, more than just a tennis shoe. It's a fusion of 90s inspired style and cutting edge performance technology with its sleek mid cut silhouette. It's designed to enhance speed and power on the court. The multi piece upper construction delivers high energy return for players of all levels. Whether you're a seasoned pro or just starting out, the Coco CG1 empowers you to dominate the game. Learn more and purchase the Coco CG1 at NewBalance.com. Welcome to the Mini Break, your daily podcast for the biggest storylines, results, and controversies from the tennis world. Today is Friday, July 23rd. Busy, busy times in the tennis world. The Olympic Games getting started tonight. Of course, we've also got three ATP events, two WTA events, four ATP challengers, countless ITF college and junior events taking place across the globe. As always, it remains a fun time to be a fan of the tennis world. Now, of course, on today's podcast, rather than run through all of the results, rather than talk about any one tournament specifically, I want to talk about all the things that have me excited right now in the tennis world, whether it be the players, whether it be the storylines, whether it be the controversies, all of it. I wanted to talk about that. So again, all of you listeners have a good idea of what to keep in mind, of what to be looking for over these next few weeks as all of the dramatic tennis unfold. And of course, I could think of no better guest to bring on today's podcast to do that with than one of our newest contributors here at Cracked Rackets. You know him as the host of Monday's Great Shot podcast episode. I know him as my friend Damian Koost, and he joins me on the show to talk about the many things that are exciting us right now in the tennis world. Included in that conversation is a, uh, is a chat about talented young Czech player Yuri Lecheka. We talk about the American men in particular, the Korda, Brooksby, Nakashima trio versus the Fritz, Opelka, Tiafo, Paul quartet. We talk a little Casper Rude. We talk a little Olympics. It's a fantastic conversation that I know all of you listeners are going to enjoy. Of course, we look forward to having Damien on this podcast more frequently coming up. And of course, if you're not already reading his content for our website, crackrackets.com, you really should be, again, fantastic conversation. I know all of you listeners are going to enjoy, of course. Before we get to that conversation, I want to remind all of you that the reason we're able to do this day in, day out here on this show is because of the support we get from all of you listeners, from our Crack Rackets Patreon family, and of course, from our friends over at Tennis Point. You already know the best equipment at the best prices. Tennis-point.com, the symbol, not the spelling. Tennis-point.com. You use our promo code CR15, you get 15% off your order free two-day shipping on all orders exceeding $75 best of all a free can of Wilson extra duty tennis balls again we are so grateful for the continued support from our friends at tennis point the least we can do ask you to support them as well tennis-point.com the promo code is CR15 with that in mind let's talk about the things that are exciting us right now from throughout the tennis world with Crack Rackets contributor Damian Koost Westoff Roll that conversation. Let's get to today's show. 
Introducing Coco Golf's signature shoe, more than just a tennis shoe. It's a fusion of 90s inspired style and cutting edge performance technology with its sleek mid cut silhouette. It's designed to enhance speed and power on the court. The multi piece upper construction delivers high energy return for players of all levels. Whether you're a seasoned pro or just starting out, the Coco CG1 empowers you to dominate the game. Learn more and purchase the Coco CG1 at newbalance.com. Joining us on the podcast today, one of our newest contributors here at Crack Rackets. You may recognize his voice as the host of our Monday ATP Challenger-centric Great Shot podcast episodes. You will, of course, recognize his writing from our website, CrackRackets.com, from Last Word on Tennis. Of course, I know him as my friend Damien Kust. Damien, welcome to the show. How are you doing today, my friend? I'm doing great. Maybe maybe I'm one of the newest guys, but I already feel like I've been here a long time and I've enjoyed every minute of it. No, I appreciate you saying that. It's my fault. You have, you have learned this. Communication's not my best. I'm always at the over three digits unread text messages. I blame the group chats. Like the invention of the group chat was the death of me responding to anything because it's like, I love my college friends. I don't care about the random tweet you like on a Tuesday. Like, and you're, I got to respond to coaches. You're burying my messages. But anyways, that's a personal issue. The point being, we need to have you on this podcast more because I can't stand the sound of my own voice. What I listen to every Monday without hesitation is the ATP Challenger podcast you and Jakob are doing. And I do feel like in particular, because we've had, what, last week it was four, this week it was four. I think we had six challengers at one point during a week this year and just something five. crazy. Yeah, five. That, five. That was the There, there were two consecutive weeks, yeah, when we had but five. But five, ten over the course of two weeks, like, the challenger tour is back, is it not, Damien? Definitely, yeah. That was the first time since November, I believe, that we had five events. So, uh, since November 2019, obviously, not, mm-hmm. not 2020. And I definitely feel like it's back following five events when there is also main tour action on both tours was both beautiful and and challenging. (laughs) And that's, I guess, how every week looks like right now with three three main tour events on the men's side. Is there two or three on on the women's as well? I believe there's two this week, yeah. Yeah, and then four, four challengers. So it's just all day tennis and that's what we love about it, so... Yeah, I'm so happy to hear you say that. I must start every podcast now by saying you can legitimately watch tennis for 24 hours in a day if you'd like. And over the past six weeks, you've been able to do that. And given what we all went through last summer, uh, I mean, I hear the excitement in your voice. I think listeners hear the excitement in my voice. It's a good thing. It's a good time to be a tennis fan. And of course, it's very difficult to follow all of that action. That is why I'm so grateful you and Jakob uh, locked in to all of that ATP Challenger action. We have the return of North American Challenger events, in particular the return of Mike Cation, Kerry Challenger this week. I'm curious. It's a stupid question, but, you know, stupid questions are how we roll here at Crack Rackets. Is the Mike Cation fan craze, does it translate over to Europe? Like, are are the, the Challenger-centric fans as excited for his return over there as all of the slappies seem to be over here? Definitely. I mean, I've seen a lot of people asking for a European Mike Cation. I mean, I don't know if it's ever going to happen. Obviously, it's not the, the ATP Challenger, the, the ATP Challenger Tour that's hiring him. So maybe no, probably not, since the the challengers aren't as organized together in in Europe. But I mean, we uh, we definitely love Mike here as well. 
uh, he's definitely something that gives an extra layer of uh, of <laughs> uh, of the experience of watching. And I definitely, whenever I see that he's gonna be on the comps, that's that I know that that I'm gonna want to watch that, even if it's like a match that yesterday there was something that I really didn't didn't even care about. And I think I it was still Sid versus Oliveira. If I can just because that was the uh, one I exactly was like, yeah yes exactly that that was the match that was the match yesterday and I still decided to put it on only because I, I thought okay I, I'm just gonna have Mike in the background and maybe look at the the screen a, f- a few times <laughs> this is why we get along because I did exactly the same thing and like right side of the screen was Riffis versus Gunaswaran because I was like I want to watch Sam play that was a better see. one yeah yeah and that match was a little bit more fun I agree I mean the only thing longer than the first set between Sid and Oliveira was the toilet break after the first set, which was like 15 minutes as well. And you're like, all right, like, I guess do what you got to do. But no, it's it's certainly fun. Again, stupid question. What language would the European Mike Cation broadcast in? What would be the go-to, you think? It has to be English. I mean, yeah. it's the only, the only language that is known universally. Like, you know, universally obviously refers to the world, but universally in Europe. Sure. Because, you know, the, the, the German, French, I mean, they're, they're known in a few countries, but right now every single, every single European country teaches English in schools. So, mm-hmm. you know, so it, it would have to be English. Interesting. All right. Well, give us four more months of you on the podcast. We'll get you in the rotation over. Like, you know, I feel like what Biela 12, like that's got Damien Kuss's name all over it, right? Like just on the play by play. I would love to go, honestly. <laughs> uh, I I definitely will try at some point to maybe talk to someone to, about it. Why not? I mean, that it, you know, I, I I don't think they're looking exactly. But there's, there's <laughs> they no... should be though. They should. No, I agree. Yeah. It's just like it doesn't make sense, right? Why? Why? I mean, the truth is, you're right. It's the USTA that spearheads mm-hmm. it here in in North America, in the United States in particular. It's not the ATP Challenger Tour, and the question is, does the Italian Tennis Federation, in the case of Biela, but do any of these tennis federations, whether it's the Turkish one, there have been so many events there, or, you know, I feel like Nottingham, they would do it. There may even be an alternative feed that that I'm unaware of. Yes, they had, they have a YouTube channel, and there were some matches there, but I think it was mostly the women's events, but there were a few... F- from the men's side, mostly Dan Evans, but no, not not only. And the, the, there were some commentators there, yeah. Mm-hmm. And the reason I bring this up, and I sent a tweet with this topic yesterday, you can fall in love. The easiest way to get someone in your circle to fall in love with tennis, have them start watching the Challenger Tour. A, it's always on, always. Whether it's a Nur Sultan match at 2 a.m., whether it's, you know, wherever you are, I suppose, depending on the time zone, there's going to be a match being played. And it's the quality of tennis at the challenger level has sincerely never been better. And that brings us to today's exercise, why I wanted to have you on the show today, Damien. We've typecasted you as a challenger tennis follower and certainly people who follow you on Twitter, one of the best follows on tennis Twitter, if I may add. Uh, they know that that is the level you are watching week in, week out. But I know you're still a tennis fan. Like, it would be stupid, and I listen to the pods, despite the 
less than stellar picks, I suppose you would describe, from you and Jakob. Um, You're still watching the big events. You're still watching Wimbledon. You're getting amped for the Olympics. So what I want to do on today's podcast is just kind of hop around the world and talk about the things that have me excited heading into, you know, the next week, this next stretch of the tennis world in particular, you know, focus on things such as the Olympics, such as the Challenger world, but hop around in general. And the place I do want to start is on the Challenger tour and is with one of the many young Czechs uh, that is having success right now on that level. And of course, easy plug here, one of your first articles you wrote for our website, crackrackets.com, was about the plethora of Czechs we have having uh, we see having success right now on the ATP tour. Uh, in particular, you know, you look uh, this week, Vit Kopriva into his first ATP semifinal. He does that in Gestad. He knocks out Denis Shapovalov yesterday. I don't even remember who he beat today, but I know he got the win. Mikhail Emer. Yeah, he beat Emer today in order to get uh, to the semifinals. He's uh, certainly one of the exciting ones, but the one I want to turn to, former world junior number 11, 19 years old, into the top 300 for the first time in his career, into the top 250 this week after he makes, I believe, third ATP-level challenger semifinal of his career. I'm referring to the young Czech, Larry Lehechka. I, uh, I apologize if I bur- butcher the pronunciation. That's another reason it's great to have you here as well. But you look for the 19-year-old, what he's been able to accomplish over these last 52 weeks. It's not just a little bit of, you know, certainly you expect a player who is a top junior to have success at the ITF level. He's 56 and 22, though, Damien, over his last 52 weeks. That's extraordinary. That's a 72% match win percentage. And generally, if you follow these things as closely as you and I do, when you're winning over two-thirds of your matches, which means you're getting to quarterfinals, sometimes beyond that, semifinals, finals, obviously winning titles, it's usually time for you to advance a level. I think it's safe to say he is ready to advance a level from the ITF level to the challenger ranks. And the fact that he's already made three semifinals in his first really few first year of challenger level competition i'm really excited about this young player curious what you've thought of him i believe this this is actually his first semi-final oh I first semi third quarter final excuse yeah, me. yeah i think it was just quarters yes, thank before you. that but yeah it's pretty crazy to me because last year when you know after the pandemic there were these 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 there was this four week series of czech challengers mm-hmm. uh twice in prague prostayov and uh, ostrava i think uh, and you know that was such a good chance for the young Czechs to pick up some ranking points, and they they really did that because Vrbensky had a good run. Foretek maybe not so much, but Lehechka also was in the semis at Prostejov. Uh, he lost to Mikeshak, uh, but Lehechka didn't even seem that exciting to me when comparing him to Vrbensky, who had a fantastic match there against Stan Wawrinka in the semis, or or Foretek, who obviously was the junior world number one. He won a Grand Slam in doubles. He even had that great run in, in Sofia last year where he defeated Marin Cilic. And Lehechka didn't even seem like, you know, that he, he was going to be the one to to rise up the ranks so quickly. But with with, with these other guys disappointing pretty much this year, uh, he, he just he just raised his game so much. And he's the youngest of the three. Uh, he's, as, as you mentioned, he's 19. Uh, he, before before even going on to, on that great challenger streak of results, he he won two ITFs this this season, and these were really good fields actually. In February, he won in Sharm El Sheikh, uh, 
in the final he defeated Pavel Chash and then he won one in May on clay so also you know also showing that he can that he can do it on different surfaces and he defeated Vitaly Sachko during the final who Sachko is also a, a challenger runner-up from from recent times so you know it's just amazing that he that he's managed to do that in in such a quick uh, you know, amount of such a quick period of time, he he managed to rise so much. As you said, he was the world number eleven, but simply compared to the other ones, I think even I would have to go back to the article, but I don't think I you know, I, I had him there as the most promising of of them all. And right now, it's really looking this way. I think he's also the the most aggressive of them, which is always a good thing when you're when you're a good junior, I believe. And this week, I mean, Antoine Wong is is a fantastic victory. The same the same with Nicolas Jari. He had a bit of a you know a fortunate draw today against Otto Virtanen because you know the, obviously the, the Virtanen is also a, I think he's twenty. He's a local wildcard that hasn't really been doing great in a while, and. I really give him a, a great chance to to pull through tomorrow as well. He's playing uh, Kirian Jacquet. He's he's a, a pretty big favorite of that one, and I'm just really excited to keep watching him. He's also going to be in Poznan. I mean, hopefully, because right now, uh, right now he <laughs> right now he's uh, uh, playing in the semis of. Uh, Jesus, Tampere. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I almost forgot. I almost <laughs> forgot what what challenger. Yeah, it's it's actually you know, on a side note. It's actually very hard to remember all the challenger events Seriously. because there are so many of them. But he's also on the entry list in in, in Poznań. So uh, where I'm I'm going, to, I, I'm probably gonna go to you know to see the the event on site. So uh, so I'm very excited to watch him live as well. Hopefully he's not too tired after after this run and he isn't going to pull out. Because it's really looking like he might be he might be staying in Tampere until Sunday. All right, we might need a Twitter takeover from you if you're on site. That's a good data point to note. Um, no, I I agree with everything you said. And for the record, the list, note to the listeners: Damien and I were talking before the podcast started. He's like, "Oh, I hope I'm going to be prepared for this." The, anyone who can just easily reference Vitaly Sachko, like just casually, be like, "You know, Vitaly Sachko made a final at uh, you know the recent Challenger and had a ton of success at the ITF level at the end of last year." The Ukrainian, that Vitaly Sachko. It's like, oh yeah, of course you're going to be prepared. Trust me. Um, but you know, you look for Lahetchka, and you kind of mentioned it. And it gets to a bigger picture uh, theme that we have discussed of late here on our Crack Rackets podcast. The future of the ATP Tour is so clearly size and length, right? You look at some of these guys at the top, in particular Medvedev, Zverev, Tsitsipas, FAA, Berrettini. Uh, obviously, Opelka is the most extreme example, but a Karen Hatchinov, a Hubi Hurkatze, uh Sasha Bublik. All of these guys are easy 6'4", if not taller. Even Lorenzo Sinego, 6'3". It's just to have the length to be able to fire 125 to 140 mile per hour serves with ease as all of them can do. And then this next generation of athlete, they're also fluid with that size as well and just what that fluidity allows them to do. Uh, obviously, it just gives you an inherent advantage. And that is not Lahechka. He's 6'1", like maybe a little bit taller since then. He might be borderline 6'2 when all is said and done because, as we've mentioned, he's still only 19 years old. But holding the baseline is not an issue for him. 
And in particular, I think it starts with the serve and the forehand. And you saw it against Nicolas Yari uh, this week. His ability to just trade serves and forehands with him. Like there is there I don't I didn't think he had an issue holding serve and keeping pace. And for him to lose to Yari the week uh two weeks prior and then beat him here at or you know, yeah, I think it was two weeks prior and then beat him here at this event, that's exactly the sort of adjustments you like to see uh from a young player and just since the start of June, you know, he goes to Bratislava, comes through qualifying, makes the quarterfinals of that event. A month later, goes to Salzburg, comes through qualifying, makes the quarterfinals of that event. Here, he makes the most of an opportunity. So many players playing the Olympic does it, and so many challenger events. He gets into a main draw, and now he finds himself in the semifinals of that main draw. As you mentioned, his performance against Antoine Huang, who does not lack in firepower, and yet Lehechka took the ball off of his racket, and... You know, you look at the numbers, and it, it's, you know, you don't have the most numbers, and it's still challenge level competition, 78.8% hold percentage. That number would be, you know, bottom half amongst top 50 players. Obviously, that's unadjusted for challenger level competition, but you look at his break percentage, 28.5%, that number would be good for sixth amongst top 50 players. Again, you have to adjust for challenger level competition, but that, I think, meets what I see with my eyes. He's a guy who puts a ton of returns in play, and I don't think he lacks with depth on either side, and I think his ability to hold that baseline, it allows him to play aggressive. It allows him to make up for his lack of 6'6 length. And, like, I I see upside. Like, I I see the top 100 weapons. His game makes sense to me, and if he plays his best tennis— He's going to be in the match, and like when to get to the top 100, that has to be the trait. You can't be someone who plays at the behest of your opponent. Yeah, I mean, we've seen we're seeing with with a lot of youngsters recently that there are just these guys where you just look at their games and you you know that they're going to have a good transition. <laughs> exactly. One of them for me was definitely Stricker. Mm-hmm. Like instantly when I when I first saw him, it was like okay, the, these guys has these guys uh, have weapons, mm-hmm. and that's that, that's the same with Lehechka, and I think that's very recently uh, you know talking a lot about the Challenger Tour because of the podcast, but not only, uh, you know when you watch the Challenger Tour, a lot of the the the, the discussion uh, is about the potential of the players, whether they can go to the main tour or not, and I grew up to the to the opinion that weapons are probably the most important thing that these guys who make it far like i don't know john milman or borna choric they're they're the exception not the rule uh, usually you really need that uh, you really need you really need to have uh, great weapons and even if they're inconsistent at the very beginning like like streaker is like lehechka used to be still is to an extent that's that, that's not the thing that matters the most if if in the long run you want to have a successful career on the ATP tour all these very consistent spanish grinders they 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 usually stay at the challenger level obviously there are exceptions to the rule again there are these outliers like albert ramos vinolas or i don't know or Pablo Andujar, but but these are these are these are simply players that that aren't uh, you know that, that aren't as aggressive that are they 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 can't really produce uh, the the power as well, but they're exceptional in other ways. And when I'm when, nowadays when I'm looking at, at a young player, I'm mostly looking for weapons. I'm mostly looking whether he'll be able to win mm-hmm. points easily because even in you know in the in the modern era the rallies are getting a lot longer so probably the the importance of three points 
is is even bigger than than it was before because because you know you just don't get points for free if you don't have a a good serve uh a very a powerful deep ground stroke so that's 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 definitely what i'm looking for when i'm when i'm judging a, a player's potential and as you said lahechka has it that's exactly it and you look at this matchup uh or you look at this challenger again as you mentioned he's got Jacquet, a talented young frenchman who's had some success at the itf level of late on the other side of the draw nicholas kicker botik vandesen sculp I mean, Venison Sculpt's got the biggest weapons on the court. There's no denying that. That serve, that forehand, he will hit through you. But, I mean, Lehechka can make a first challenger final at this event. You're absolutely right. He is the favorite tomorrow. And so, you know, again, with the premise of this podcast being things that have me excited. Czech tennis in general, and it feels like they're due. It's been a, a lull post Tomas Burdich, and I feel like Czech men's tennis has a rich history. You, you talked about it a little bit in your piece as well. And so, you know, certainly there are a lot of options right now on the board. Lachechka, one of them. But I want to switch gears now, talk about a topic near and dear to my heart, a topic familiar to our Crack Rackets listeners. That, of course, is Brandon Nakashima and the many young American men right now on the ATP Tour. And when I say young, I mean, let's be clear. The 97s, Opelka, Fritz, Tommy Paul, they're not exactly old. Like, they turned 24 this year. And, like, Francis Tiafo, 23 this year. You know, even if you want to keep going, obviously, Brooksby and Sebastian Court, I don't think anyone dis- disputes that they are young, but that now feels like middle class of American players. Even a Mackie McDonald's born 1995. You know, he's still just maybe now in the center of his prime at 26 years old. There's a lot of talent on the board, and yet... I've lived in the American tennis bubble my entire life. So for me, you know, I grew up reading Colette Lewis and the thing that got me most excited, 2014, 2015, 2016 Kalamazoo's when you had a Noah Rubin win Junior Wimbledon, Kozlov make finals of that in Junior Australia, and then all of them are playing Kalamazoo that year. Rubin ends up winning the title. The next year you have Fritz, Opelka Paul winning Junior Slams, but in the end it's Francis Tiafo who beat Stefan Kozlov in a five-set, you know, uh, final. And someday I'll do the oral history of that five-set final. That's a piece in the queue for me but you know again I live in that bubble so I've been excited about all of them and I don't think I have the perspective I think you just, I want to hear your perspective because you look at Taylor Fritz and Riley the same lens you would a Yuri Lehechka and obviously those guys are a little bit further along in their career but I, I guess let's start with this question big one fun one for you because things that have us excited there's no doubt the next generation of American men you throw in Sebastian Corda, success is clear, ATP title champion. Brett Jensen Brooksby has lost, what, six total times since the start of 2021, and he's won multiple challenger titles. He's made an ATP final now. He's super exciting. Of course, last summer, if you didn't send your lookout for Brandon Nakashima, he's going to be a t- problem tweet. You felt left out of tennis Twitter because everyone hopped on the Nakashima bandwagon last summer. Those three are super, super exciting. My question to you, I'll give you those three, or I'll give you the prior four, Opelka, Paul, Fritz, Tiafo. Which group has you more excited right now, Damien? Well, definitely the younger ones. I mean, as you said, 23 and 24 is not exactly, not exactly old, yeah. but it's the age where you would 
you know, if if they're going to be uh, you know, Grand Slam champions in the future or even even just go deep at slams, that's that's the age where you kind of expect something to happen. For, even for most guys who had late peaks, like, I don't know, Diego Schwartzman or Stan Wawrinka, like, it was this age where they started blooming. Like, Wawrinka was 20, 24, probably, when he reached the... The final in Rome in 2008. So, so you know, he, he's obviously a late bloomer in terms of slam winning, but he wasn't exactly. He he was there at the top. He just wasn't. He just wasn't. wasn't wasn't as good as he would later become under under Magnus Norman. But I guess it's exactly that age, 23, 24, what you would expect. You know, if they're going to be worth beaters, that's that's where they have to start. And I'm not. I I'm not expecting much more from guys like Fritz, honestly. I don't know. I just, I, I just stopped seeing a track of progress for him, sort of. I, I, I surely expect him to stay around the, the level where he is for years. But when I'm looking at Korda, especially, but also Brooksby in recent months, Nakashima as well, but but no, uh, I, I think that's slightly less exciting at the moment. Uh, but but maybe maybe not so much after this week in, in Los Cabos. I mean, the, the, all every, everyone keeps pointing out the the mental side of his game, mm-hmm. which is which is kind of I mean, it sort of became a cliche. But yeah, when when I when I woke Absol- up first today, of all, absolutely yes. Yeah, I mean, when I woke up today, I actually didn't watch his match against Thompson. I mean, I I only tuned in very late in the third because. Because that was uh, in the middle of the night for me, and uh, I saw just a lot of tweets pointing out that Nakashima is very calm, has an even temperament, and I mean I've just read so many of these throughout last year that I'm I'm kind of sick of this storyline. <laughs> I want to see some some different things about Brandon Nakashima. Obviously, the backhand is also so, overused. But... Quickly, and I no, I apologize to cut you off because I want to talk about that. No, no worries. I, I, I want to talk about this generation as well, and I want to split it up because and look a look at Los Cabos is a perfect place to do it because you look right now first of all shout out cam nori uh, we give cam nori a lot of love at crack rackets but it's worth noting he is having a career year the advanced metrics he's number 13 right now in overall elo rating on tennis abstract he's number seven in 2021 elo rating i think he's ranked 31 right now in the atp rankings if i ask you what has he been closer to honestly a top 30 or a top 15 player this year you look at his results if you say top 15, you're not getting laughed out of the room. There's a legitimate case to say that. And so, you know, for him, goes and plays college tennis, was a top junior, but wasn't quite ready physically, clearly is now, doesn't have that overwhelming weapon, can do a little bit of everything. Anyways, Cam Nori fans here, goes without saying, but you've got Fritz on that top semifinal taking on Nori. On the bottom half, it is Nakashima versus Isner. I don't think we need to make the case for Sebastian Corda when you've made multiple fourth rounds at a Grand Slam. You've done it on clay and grass courts. You've won an ATP title on clay. You've won multiple challengers, and you've done it all in the last 52 weeks. You're going to be really freaking good. Um, and you're the son of a Grand Slam champion, and your sisters are the best golfers in the world, and clearly Corda's just breeds success. So, done. No doubt he's the prospect right now in American tennis. Let's talk about the tennis, though, because that's where the things do get interesting. In terms of a skill set, let's start with Brandon Nakashima, I suppose. I agree with you. It's so There's no doubt. We'll give the intangibles, the mental side, the not going to beat himself up, going to compete to the last point. The way he competes is no doubt one of his biggest strengths. And you can't just take that for granted like I am right now. 
But I also think Fritz competes extraordinarily well. I also think, you know, I mean, that might be Brooksby's best quality. I think t- it, it's Tiafo's best Like, oh, it's interesting for Tiafo. We'll get to him momentarily. The backhand will hold up at any level. The movement is never going to be a problem for Brandon. But you just said it with Lechechka. Does Nakashima have the weapons to make things easy for him, like easy enough for himself to where top 30, top 20 is the realm he's constantly hanging out with? Or is it going to be a Fritz, you know, Opelka, I don't, Tiafo-ish thing where like it's that 30 to 50 range, which by the way is still outstanding, but like we're just being honest in the assessment. That is certainly the question. <laughs> yeah. I don't feel like I have an answer yet. Yeah, obviously. I'm curious though which way, but, which side yeah. of the argument you sit on. I mean, as you said, I mean the backhand is definitely a weapon. Mm-hmm. Uh, I think the best I've ever seen him hit it was actually against Zverev last year at the, at the U.S. Open. I mean that was the match that proved to me that this really is a weapon of this sort that mm-hmm. could give him a number of free points. But obviously the forehand is a problem, especially you know just playing short balls off it. But I think he can do it with the implementation of more net play, especially on grass. I mean, I, I expected a bit more maybe from him earlier in, in the grass court season. Well, earlier in the grass court season, it, it has three weeks. Yeah. But in the in the first few events, he was pretty bad, but then qualified for Wimbledon and then played, lost to Fritz, right, in, in four sets. And I think with the you know with more awkward tactics that 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 could lead to something because he he clearly has a problem with maybe not the, the serve maybe not so much anymore but the the, the forehand and just taking care uh, you know, t- taking advantage of of loose balls taking just playing an an advantageous position in the rally from that wing and maybe if he can just turn it into more uh, more tactics at the net he's not. Obviously, again, the size may be, may be a bit of an issue there because the, the reach isn't this great. But he has a great volleying technique, maybe maybe because he worked with Pat Cash. I don't know. Mm-hmm. Uh, I, I saw a lot of, a lot of people kind of criticizing that, that, yeah. that, that, that coaching idea that to, to hire Pat Cash. Yeah. But I mean, if, he, if there's anyone to, to help you with your volleying technique, the Pat Cash is definitely one of these... I mean, he he pretty much built his career on that on that shot. So and the serve, so 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 maybe maybe that's the way for Nakashima for me. And and I he's not he, in my mind he's not going to be that kind of a superstar as Korda is looking to be. But I wouldn't be surprised if he's at some point better than 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 the Fritzes of the of the current era. Yeah. I don't know how to call no, them. No, it's fair. The reason I ask is because. I think you would say Taylor Fritz has more obvious weapons. Taylor Fritz's serve is God's gift to tennis. You watch it, and it really is just so beautiful, right? There's, it's just so easy. Just the way he—easy pace, easy kick, easy slice, easy into the body. He can just—it feels like that—over-the-head motion, that's the easy part for him. Um, and then, you know, again, when he makes contact cleanly— can absolutely bazooka the ball off of both wings, forehand, backhand. Now, the questions for him are, it's clear he's not a good volleyer. He's not comfortable at the net. Now, he has gotten so much better as a volleyer. There's no denying that as well, but it's easy to get better when you're starting from the floor. And, um, you know, he continues to improve. He's also just not the best mover. Like, he is definitely just laterally. That's not his thing. That's not the thing he excels at. He's The good news is, again, those two things, though— volleys and movement 
it feels like those are the two things you can control the most to get better at, right? Like you can always work on moving forward and forcing yourself into those situations. And it is a repetition thing. And you've seen Fritz already make jumps. Now, while he'll never have the best feel, half of volleying is just making the first volley. If you know where to be and know where to put that first volley, you're, the, the second volley is usually just an easy put away. And so I think Fritz can get to a point where, yes, he will be comfortable making that first volley. And while his movement's not the best – Helps to be six four six five, and again he's getting better. And a lot of the time he is on his front foot because of how aggressive he plays. There's just a bigger margin for error for a guy like Taylor Fritz is what I'm trying to say than it feels like there is built in for Brandon Nakashima. And yet, Brandon Nakashima can do everything well. Like you're absolutely right. You look at it. I mean, he's held serve eighty one point nine percent of the time over the last fifty two weeks. He's thirty six and twenty three over that stretch. He's played a lot of ATP qualifying. He qualified for Wimbledon, obviously for the first time. That was huge. He went and played a challenger season on the clay courts. That was really his first exposure to professional clay court tennis. That was a great decision for him as well. As you mentioned, we saw last fall when he pushed Zverev how good he can be on a hard court. And then I I honestly regret my take from earlier because then you do bring in the mental component for Brandon Nakashima and so many of these players, it's like, all right, well, you looked great one week, but can you look great that sixth week you're on the road when you've lost four out of the five tournaments you've played first round? And like, I don't worry about that for Brandon Nakashima. And so, you know, with the backhand being a weapon, with the fact that I don't think there's any discernible weakness, and like I do think he's a good, not great mover. Like I, I don't. I guess the forehand can be overwhelmed with pace, but like you have to hit the ball huge to overwhelm him with pace. You watch the Query match. You watch the JJ Wolf match. His forehand held up well, and those two guys fire the ball at you. So like, yeah, will he have problem with the pace of a Sitipas of a Berrettini? Sure, but everyone will have problem with those guys. His well-rounded skill set. Plus his, you know, again, plus that mentality, I do think there's top 30 upside. So that that's the camp I'm in for now because, again, it's to, to have as well-rounded of a game and then you bring in the mental component, that's where it all comes together. Yeah, I mean, from from his interviews and also from his scheduling decisions, because as you, as you mentioned, he had a quite... A few quite awful losses last year on clay, and he still kept playing that. He still wants to, like you know, it's a it's a marathon for him, not a sprint. Like he, yeah. the goal is to be a top player at one point of his career. He just he doesn't really necessarily you know. He obviously it doesn't wants have to be at now. nineteen. Yeah, but it doesn't yeah. have to be right now. And the yeah. same goes for Brooksby. Actually, mm-hmm. like uh, I read, I think it was actually with Mike Cation. Uh, I read an interview with him where he said that his ranking doesn't really matter. Like that's that's not what's important. What's important is that he improves. Obviously, that might be just some BS that that he tells <laughs> to the to the not the press in this case, but to Mike. But 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 in general, I think that they, they both have the the very similar mentality in that regard, mm-hmm. and that's a winning mentality in tennis. Probably that 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 you don't necessarily have to be at your best right now but you really want to improve and in the seasons to come that's where you want to have your peak yeah no and we can play a quick game like you look through his clay court season three set loss to liam brody not great but if you remember that match he was you know i i think he uh he had plenty of chances the point is in yeah that it was a good it loss. was a good one yeah, uh, yeah. i think it was one of the best ones not gushing up late on clay yeah absolutely you look at a couple of other losses three set loss to alcaraz that's not a bad loss on clay 
Three set loss to Kimmer Copenhans. You don't love that, but Kimmer Copenhans is such a tough, a former junior French Open champion. Like, not that that's the qualification, but the point is, clay courts have always been a surface that he's thrived on. A loss to Cole Schreiber in three. Like, yeah, the loss to Ferrero Silva, you don't love. The loss to Souza, you don't love. But for first clay court season, I thought Brandon held up pretty well. And but like, wasn't, a, wasn't that his second clay court season? Uh, well, because but at first, was... first full clay court season, I'm saying, because it, last okay. year, I, I don't really, it, last year was so broken. This was the first one where he's like, hey, coaching staff, we're going to play clay for two to three months, and that's all we're doing. Okay. And again, 19 years old, you look in the rankings, 134. I, I, I'll get back to the other generation in a second, but like, I, I, I think Brandon's still on, it's easy to, the shine of Corda and honestly, the shine of Brooksby as well have sort of surpassed uh, Nakashima at this point. At the same time, if you're selling your Nakashima stock, I'll buy it because the, the, the kid has been an absolute stud. Still not even 20 years old. Yeah, I would absolutely buy it as well. Yeah. Although, as you said, uh, I definitely agree that that Korda and Brooksby have sort of sur- surpassed him recently. Mm-hmm. I, I, I'm not sure if Nakashima was ever in front of them. But maybe maybe all he needs is, is getting back to hard courts, and we're already seeing that this week. I'm pretty <laughs> sure a Brooksby it's been Nakash- exceptional. I'm pretty mm-hmm. sure Brooksby Nakashima match would never end. It would just keep going yeah. and going and going and going. And again, like I don't know why Brooksby is definitively a better prospect than Nakashima at this point. You watch their games. I would argue the biggest weapon on the court for all of them is the Nakashima backhand. And yet, and again, that's just one data point, but it is a data point worth noting. And it's just like, you know, similar age trajectories. They're both really freaking good at the same time. And this is why, again, I think it's a sneaky, exciting time to be an American tennis fan because, and this is the things I'm excited about, Nakashima, Korda, Brooksby, we've just made the case. I still think Taylor Fritz is top 30 material. Obviously, he's been ranked inside the top 30. It speaks for him itself. But, you know, again, only 24 this year. I think he should be a presence in that top 30 for the next five seasons. I think there's still untapped upside for Riley Opelka, who quietly does get better and better. Obviously, he had the big run, perfect conditions in Madrid, but he makes a semifinal out of Masters. He's won an ATP title. Yes, there have been some disappointing losses, but when it all so clicks— Rome, right? Uh, Rome, excuse me. Did I say Madrid? Thank you, Rome. Yeah. Um, he's had moments where you just you see the dominant gear and again he's a better athlete than John Isner was he's a better tennis player like there Isner's a better volleyer I would say and Isner's a better server mm-hmm. but is Opelka still 24 those are things you can improve you know it's so easy to fall in love with Francis Tiafo's game he's won an ATP title he's made quarterfinals of a slam before and the forehand gets better the physicality he can still impose it's there and yes he's been a part of our lives for five years but he's only 23 years old it's like he feels like he could be a top 30 guy Tommy Paul's the interesting one because you're gonna fall in love with Tommy Paul for five minutes of every match athletically the fluidity the form he's handsome as hell as well that helps um all of the above for Tommy like that it's still a really talented co- cohort. That's why I say yes, Corda shines above them all. There's no denying that he's on top of the perch. But the rest of the six, like I feel pretty similar about all six. I don't feel definitively stronger about Jensen Brooksby or Brandon Nakashima than I do about Fritz, Opelka, or Tiafo. I probably do feel a little bit stronger about them than I do about Tommy Paul. But that's it. 
I mean, these are guys who are never going to leave the top 100, I think. Yeah. Like, besides any injuries, I mean, it, it, it's, it's a good crew, that, too. Yeah. I mean, they're going to enjoy traveling together yeah. in a way. I mean, the, you know, Tefo is obviously the, the, the funny one there. And he, he definitely makes makes spending time with him with him on the, on the tour uh, a great experience. But uh, I mean, the they're just so good that they're never going to to fall behind unless the, the, their their movement declines or or something i mean opelka as you said he like when you look at it tennis shouldn't really be looked at this way but when you look at it from like a logical standpoint yeah. he moves better than isner his serves is his serve is almost as good and his his grand strokes are a lot better because he moves better mm-hmm. so like you know when you're looking at John Isner's career, there, there's, there's so period, quickly, theoretically not a reason where, why Opelka wouldn't... To know. that point, because I very much agree with you, and it is so theoretical, but this is where, and it's one of my favorite terms, low-hanging fruit. It's like, what are the easy things... Yeah, you gave me a look there. I've seen that look many a times. Um, what, are, what am I talking about, Alex? It's in low-hanging fruit. It's like an easy thing to pick off, right? And an uh-huh. easy thing to yeah. grab and get better at. And I think that the low-hanging fruit for Riley Opelka continues to feel like it's his serve. That, like, his serve is just not that good. Like, it is that good. But for his size, it's not that good yet. Like, you look at his hold percentage right now, Riley Opelka amongst top 50 players. He currently ranks 7th. Which, like, yeah, when you're holding, you know, 86.7% of the time over your last 52 weeks, 7th amongst top 50 players, that's an elite server. Opelka is an elite server right now. But he's not the elite of the elite. And the category I always turn to is the 90% club. Players who are holding serve over 90% of the time. When you're at that metric historically, you are the elite of the elite. Think Milos Raonic, who's number one right now. He's over 90%. Think John Isner, number two right now. He's over 90%. Think Matteo Berrettini, who I think has emerged amongst the elite of the elite. Those are your three guys over 90%. That's where Opelka should hang out right now. And you look at the numbers for him, I think the first serve percentage gets better. He's up to 63 or 4% this year. I think that's a career high this season. But like the second serve percent, he still only wins 52, 53% of his second serve points. That's low for a guy his size. And you look at Rayonich is at 56%. Uh, Isner's at 56% for second serves. They're also a little bit higher with that first serve number as well. It just and by the way, serving is always the thing with repetitions. Every coach says you will get better at. Doesn't it feel like Opelka has another gear as a server? Like that's why I'm still on the Opelka camp is because when you watch him play, it's not only just the serve itself, but it's the execution of the first volley as a servant volleyer. It's the execution of approach shots in general as well. It feels like there's still another gear to Riley Opelka. And then you bring in the athletic stuff that you mentioned as well. Sorry. Mm-hmm. I don't know. I mean, I, I'm assuming you're also thinking that it's you know the variety of the, of the serving isn't isn't that great. Yes, I mean, I, agree. I, I I guess when you're like if we picture ourselves in in Riley Opelka's shoes, like if you're thinking about what to improve, I guess the serve isn't exactly going to be the thing that you're gonna be looking at. Like if I'm Riley Opelka, there are a lot of different things that, <laughs> that I have to work on: ground strokes, movement, uh, 
physicality, I guess, to an extent, still volleying, as you said. So, so maybe that's just a, a matter of you know, not not really focusing on on the serve that much. Because you know, if if you're a giant, if you're if everyone fears your serve, then then why would you even think about improving that? And maybe that's you know, I mean that 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 fits with your theory of low hanging fruit. Yeah. Uh, it no, wasn't exactly. <laughs> yeah, sorry. No, I didn't mean to cut you off. But no, I I, I would agree. Well, why I, I, I'm not saying I disagree with you, and I'm not trying to suggest I have any right coaching Riley Opelka, but it's like, don't you want to maximize the strength? Don't you want the serve to be elite? Because that's the bread and butter for Riley Opelka. He'll go as far in a grand slam as that serve takes him. In particular, 2026 Wimbledon, that's the one to circle Damien. But I just think for him, like, I, I do think it can get better. I think the volleys are the obvious thing that can get better, and you've seen him become a better volleyer you've seen him work on incorporating serve and volley into his game the fact that as you mentioned the movement is better than isner already and and we're not saying that lightly but it's crazy to say like you watch it you're like this guy is fluid for a seven footer and like his backhand is good it's it's not like good for a seven footer it's just good uh the forehand's big it's a little funky but the like again when you if you're able to play the other stuff in tennis the way he does and then have the option of turning to the 90% serve, hold percentage, that's where you're like, all right, it's Isner with more upside. And I don't, th- and, and you can't say that yet because the serve's not at the Isner level. I guess that's the argument I'm trying to make is, yes, he's Isner with more upside. He's hit the more upside part, but it's the Isner part that he's not quite at yet. And that's why, again, the low-hanging fruit theory, because it's like, he's not even serving like Isner yet, and he's already having these results. Wait until the serve gets there. Uh, I, mean, I like that. I mean, uh, <laughs> watching watching guys like that, you kind of automatically assume, I guess not you, but you kind of automatically assume that, you know, the, the service is already perfect for what it yeah. is. So I'm definitely going to pay more attention to, to Riley Opelka's serve the next yeah, time that's, I, I, I watch him. Yeah, we just him. did 12 minutes on his serve. Sorry about that. Yeah. Unintentional, but it gets me excited. But he probably doesn't have a, a second serve as good as Isner. Like the Isner's kick is probably the... No, I mean together with Sampras and Federer for the for the best ever second serve, so that that that's that's also something really important. But I think Isner would also be a, a few per a few percentage points higher on first serve percentage, mm-hmm. uh, like in, in his career, right? Isner usually has a crazy amount of he's at of first eight, serve. He, he's at seventy nine percent this season, which is two percent <laughs> higher than Riley. Yeah, that's pretty good. That's pretty good. I didn't even expect that that much. Yeah, I mean, Isner makes a lot of first serves for for how aggressive he is. He oh, is excuse me, that. first serve percentage. He's at sixty nine percent. Yeah, which, because that which leads the tour. Uh, okay. I, I, sorry, yeah. the, that other number was first serve win percentage. But by oh. the way, if John Isner is leading the tour in first serve percentage, in like, how do you beat him? <laughs> Good luck. Yeah. Exactly. That that's what always surprises me about Isner that that for how big his first serve is, he still makes so many of them. I mean, some people mm-hmm. argue that that first serve percentage doesn't really matter or, or something, but I, you know, in my book, it still does. <laughs> the the more first serves you you make without actually you know, taking the speed off or taking the spin off, that's the, the the better you're gonna be. And in the case of Isner, obviously, sixty nine is 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 huge because that that's what so. Opelka was at what? 63, 64? Opelka is 63, 64 range. Yeah. I think he's 63.6. I don't know if you can really improve that with, with, such, with such a huge serve, but I guess you can always try. Mm-hmm. 
Yeah, but uh, yeah, again, we've we've talked enough about the Opelka serve. And by the way, if anything, uh, how great is that? If, if if this podcast turns watching serve bot tennis and makes it cool, it's like, oh, I'm watching the Opelka serve for the development. It's like, yeah, do it, do it. Um, but no, again, you look more broadly at Los Cabos, and we'll wrap this conversation here. Nori versus Fritz. Certainly Fritz has the weapons. Nori's going to move him around the court, though, although I always like Taylor Fritz against the lefty because that backhand, I'm in on the Fritz backhand always. You've got Isner versus Nakashima as well. Certainly that's a test, although you look for Brandon. He's played some big hitters already in this event in JJ, in Sam Query. How's Los Cabos end up shaking out? Yeah, I mean... uh... Great tournament for the Americans, obviously. Yeah. Uh, only as only if Escobedo made it. Actually, <laughs> yeah. kind of expected it to be a much closer game. Uh, I guess I have to. <laughs> I guess I have to just you know, think differently of Escobedo from now on, because uh, from the beginning of the year I thought he was he was going to make a pretty big rise, and it's it, it hasn't really been happening. But Nori is so sneaky good this year that I mean. And Eastern Nakashima is, you know, I have to look at which hour it is. Hopefully, I'm gonna be alive at this <laughs> at this time because Los I'm Cabos, hoping you'll be alive too, for the record. Yeah, I mean the <laughs> the Mexican events are the toughest for me, uh, time wise. The, the time zone, the time zone for Mexico is yeah. Nakashima Eastern starts at 5 a.m. and Nori Fritz at 3:30. So I mean, obviously, Eastern Nakashima after Nori Fritz. But Eastern Nakashima is something that I will try to get up for. Maybe the Olympics will also help with that. Mm-hmm. Yeah, no. because yeah. That, that's super exciting, actually. That 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 that's you know, sort of battle of the generations of of Americans and Nakashima's return. Because well, I don't think we even mentioned his return, but I mean, that's an elite shot, definitely, and or an elite shot to be. In, in a year or two and and the, the, just the, the clash of, of Isner's serve and Nakashima's return is super exciting to me no, absolutely um, and again that should be a fun one and that's the nightcap where it's like yeah we had tennis starting in the morning and now we have tennis in the evening here on the east coast so that's where we fill our 24-7 fix but alright with all that said last topic for you and again we're going to stay on the ATP level because we talked challengers we had Mikeation on to talk about everything that's happened in carry and of course we'll be locked in on that you have quarterfinal action there today on friday and we're recording this podcast about two o'clock eastern time here you're probably going to hear it around four o'clock it's olivieri versus kruger nanda versus harrison eubanks versus kozlov ramanathan versus gunaswarin over there but the final topic i want to ask you uh is about casper rude because I think when we watch Kasparud play, and certainly you look for him this week, he's into, I believe, another semifinal in Gestad. Uh, you look for him. Uh, he knocked off, I believe, it was Benoit Pair today in three sets to make that semifinal. He's coming off of a title last week in Gestad. You look for Kasparud now in terms of the advanced metrics. Obviously, he's a top 10 guy on clay courts in ELO rating, but Kasparud right now, number 11 in overall ELO you look for him in terms of his 2021 specific results. Kasparud currently ninth in in 2021 ELO. You look at the numbers beyond that in terms of over his last 52 weeks, 40 and 17. So that's a 70% win percentage. He's won a couple of clay court titles as well. Of course, the majority of his success has come on clay courts, although it is worth noting you go back to Australia earlier this year. He beats Thompson, Paul, and Elbot before losing in the fourth round to Andre Rublev. 
my final question for you, because he's one of those guys, it's not the obvious firepower the way it is a Shapovalov or the way it is uh, even a Sebastian Corda or just some of these big hitting young Berrettini, obviously a, a big one as well. But you watch Kasparud play. I always say it's the mortal version of Rafael Nadal, also the righty version as well. The way, obviously, the heavy RPM forehand, his ability to find that forehand in different spots of the court, his ability to move that ball around the court. I also think if you watch the backhand, how handsy he is on the backhand. You can tell when he's trying to elevate the ball high over the net get depth on that shot very similar to the way Nadal hits that stroke and so again when I look at Casper Ruud I look at the numbers of late he's a top you know one of 12 players to rank top 27 which is just the arbitrary category to include him 12 players to rank top 27 in both hold percentage and break percentage such a well-rounded game I think that forehand can be a weapon on hard courts as well still to be determined how good he'll be on grass but I expect a big breakthrough from him over this summer hard court stretch, and you look for Kasparud in his career on hard courts at the ATP level. I mean, it's still a really small sample size, but you know, seven and six over his last fifty-two, sixteen and twenty-six overall. What are your thoughts on Kasparud? Obviously, he's racking up clay court wins here right now, but is he elite? Like, is he a top 10 guy in the future? Because certainly 14th ranking right now, top eleven via Elo. He's on the precipice. Yeah, I mean, you kind of hit a. <laughs> it's 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 a good question for me because last week watching this Bastad, uh, you know, or Bostad or however the Swedish yeah. pronounce it, uh, watching the watching that run, I was kind of not impressed <laughs> with Fruit. Sure. <laughs> as crazy as it sounds, because he won six sets, six sets, lost none. Most uh, most of the set scores were very straightforward. And he's, he still keeps winning. But I mean, I would have liked to see him in Hamburg uh, instead of Bostad because I just want to test him against, as you said, elite comp- uh, com- uh, competition. Absolutely. Because when you look at his losses, the, this clay court season, like besides the one against Davidovich Fokina, and I guess we can kind of exclude that because he, well, he had like 15 or 20 po- more points won in that one. So I guess we, we can say that was a bit unlucky. But a big disappointment, definitely for for me who had Rudin in like semis at, 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 at in Paris or something. But the other ones is it's Berettini, Basilashvili, Rublev, and Alcaraz. I mean, all guys playing absolutely huge games, mm-hmm. and I, I'm just not not convinced he can consistently take on elite opposition. Obviously, he has that win over Tsitsipas in Madrid. But so far, it's been rather the you know, the exception rather than the rule, and I, I I don't know. I just seeing him rack up these wins against Federico Coria or Roberto Carbaez Baena, so guys without huge, mm-hmm. you know, huge attacking stuff like Rune Rune has it, but obviously he's still pretty raw. Pair obviously is just 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 a <laughs> different kind of <laughs> yeah. entity. Yeah. Like, you, you never know what to expect. But Coria or Carbaez Baena, I mean, we, we've established that Rudy is extremely solid, that his the top spin works fantastic on on, on on clay courts. And when you get Rude against a guy like Coria or Carbaez Baena or, I don't know, who, who, who he beat earlier in the year, uh, like guys like Andujar or guys like Kepfer, guys like Nishioka, you just can, are, are sort of certain that he's going to win because there's just no 
holes in his game, no holes that, that are visible on the at the very first moment. And these guys just do not have the abilities to the right skill sets to expose his limitations. And it's a great thing to have. I mean, there are very, very few tennis players who can be said to you know, just win almost win the matches that you expect them to win almost every time. And Ruud certainly has it on clay this year. When he when he's losing, it's against a red lining opponent with a lot of power, mm-hmm. except the Davidovich Fukino match, as I said. So I'm 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 not that impressed. I I don't know if there's anyone left to, in in Stadt to challenge him. Actually, I mean tomorrow he's playing Vitko Priva. For as great as Kopriva has been, uh, <laughs> I, I don't know. It's it's another one of these matches where you just expect Root to win. And in the last year or so, he's been proving that he's winning these matches. Like, you know, when he's expected to to take it, he's pretty much taking it, obviously, on clay. And then in the finals, it would be Jere or Gaston. So so that's probably another title for, for Root. But I would really love him to play Hamburg last week. This week, obviously, he, he didn't have a, a bigger event to... Uh, to contest, but I, I would love to see him more against against really elite opposition. And as for the for the hardcore part, uh, I well, remember just he... quickly there because uh-huh. again, numbers so great at backing up observations in tennis, and that's really what they're used for. Because tennis is a sport you see unfold with your eyes. You watch every sport unfold with your eyes, but you get what I'm saying. Um, it's one on one. You can see forehand good, backhand bad. Point being, to your point about elite competition, Kasparud this year. 22 and 4 against non top against opponents outside the top 50 again 22 and 4 against opponents outside the top 50 against top 50 opponents 18 and 13 pretty good against top 20 opponents 9 and 9 pretty good against top 10 opponents 3 and 7 and the big number for Kasparud, and you talk about the lack of elite weapons and the fact that he doesn't go after that big ball that he's just a guy who puts a ton of returns in play his break percentage 25.8% overall over the last 52 weeks. Against top 50 opponents, that number drops to 21.5. Against top 20 opponents, that number drops to 17.5. Against top 10 opponents, 12.4%. A 12.4 break percentage, you're in the Opelka-Isner zone as a returner. That is how not many, very good. How many of these top 10 matches were on clay? Uh, that's a good question. A, of the yeah. top 10 matches on clay, six of them. Six of them were on okay. play. So, so we lost Berrettini at the U.S. Open, Rublev in Australia, Zverev Acapulco doesn't count, uh, and then uh, he loses to Medvedev in Mallorca. Mm-hmm. Yeah, but yeah, the 12% is quite shocking, actually, especially if you if you factor in that most of these matches were on clay. Yeah. Uh, not And, and Rude, you know, with his playstyle, he kind of has to break the opponent yeah. a lot. So, yeah. Uh, well, I think that's actually the sneaky thing. His plus one game, he's actually, you look over these last 52 weeks in terms of his hold percentage, Kasparud right now, 14th in hold percentage. Uh, he's holding serve right now, uh, I believe, 83.5% of the time. Now, it helps that we've had two clay court seasons in a 52-week stretch. But, like, his ability to find the plus one and set up that first forehand with his serve is actually, I think, what's so important. Uh, just that ability. And I think the backhand gets better. Uh, again, low-hanging fruit theory. Um, but, I, like, it is interesting. I agree with you. That That's... It, Kasparud should never be uh, only breaking serve 12% of the time against anyone. Like, he's too good of a returner for that number to be so low. Yeah, 
uh, especially against such elite opposition, he's gonna need to to break because they're also gonna break him more. But as you said, uh, I I definitely agree that the, the ability to find in modern tennis, especially the ability to set up your forehand after the first serve, has proven to be extremely important. And that's also something coming to the the point that you made uh, before. That's also something that can help him with his hard. Here was it during the pandemic that that Ruth was practicing a lot in in Norway on hard. So definitely, you know, we can see that. The, the, the focus for him is also on improving uh, there because you don't want to be a top player three months of the year. You want to be a top player for the whole season. And and he definitely isn't without a chance to to you know to to, to contend for titles as well on this on this surface. But w- with the extreme top spin that he has, I mean, we we can safely assume that he, the clay is always going to be. Uh, the thing we where we expect him to excel, and we, I, I definitely am still a bit disappointed with how he performed at the French, because after that, after that good of a clay court season, you you really would have expected a bit more, and it was that one tournament where he didn't really lose to a power hitter, he didn't really lose to an elite opponent, or maybe the future, but not no 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 not yet. So so. You know, that's also something maybe to look at in the future if he's going to perform at at the most important clay court event of them all, because the the more smaller titles he wins, if he wins Postad, he wins he wins Stad, he wins you know Munich next year, uh, you know the the more pressure there's gonna be for him to to dwell at the French, and so far that pressure to dwell that knowing that this is this is the single most important event of the year maybe also getting better on hard courts is going to help him get rid of that as well because if 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 you're looking to do well at more events then then there's not that much pressure on this exact one it, it, it's generally probably not worth it to just have this line of thinking that this is the event that i have to do well at everything else is is uh, you know is just directed in order to get me to play the, the my best at this one this event maybe that's also what lost uh, you know what lost Federer at Wimbledon and and, and all. Mm-hmm. No, it's again it's, it's a fair point to make and you know I think now that he's got the North American hum- summer hardcore stretch coming up it'll be in, we'll get to see him tested and like he's going to get into every event he wants to play and so hopefully we get to see him tested against competi- top competition as you have mentioned. Uh, we know what Casper looks like when it's a non-top 50 player, but top 50, top 20, top 10 opponents want to see him continue to face off against the world's best. Last topic for you, and it can be a quick one. One of my takes I've shared on every Olympic podcast I've done, Hubi Hercots, dark horse to medal, just feels like these big events, whether it's Miami, whether it's Wimbledon, it brings out his best tennis. I have some friends in the Hoopy camp who have said explicitly how excited he is to be competing for Poland. Does he bring home the medal? And in predict- in particular, give me your predictions. Men's, women's, singles medalists, who you got? Oh, sorry. I, I, I'm going to have to, I'm going to have to pull up the draws, I guess. No, that's perfect. And again, while you do that, I, I, it, it's tough to not pick the seeds, right? Because you look across the board. I mean, uh, Djokovic, I think he's like minus 150 uh, hmm? against the field. And, you know, obviously, Barty, Osaka, Sabalenka, they've been the best players in women's tennis. As tough as that is, though, the parody in the women's game, it feels like anyone can win anything. So all of that said, men's then women's, who you got? 
Yeah, I mean, Hurkacz, I really don't like that opener. I mean, Martin Fucevic is just someone you never want to play in your opener. He's just so tricky to face. I mean, other than that, his draw is quite nice, but I don't know. I mean, with Hurkacz, you never really know what to expect because of how streaky he can be. Even even lately, I mean, Miami won the title, then had a you know won one one match in Monte Carlo against Fabiano, then lost six in a row, and then Wimbledon semis. Like I I, I just feel like <laughs> Hurkacz has been so streaky that 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 you never really know. But it's a it's a possibility for sure. I mean, if he pushes through Fuchovic, because that that that's. That's a nightmare of a draw, honestly. I, I don't think there are many unseeded players that 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 were harder to that would be harder to for Hurkacz in the in the opening round. Uh, as for as for Djokovic, obviously you can't really pick against him. I mean, uh, there's no Del Potro this time around. Uh, he has a, he exactly. has he has a similarly ranked opponent in the first round, Hugo Delian, like similarly to to Del Potro in Rio. Uh, Del Potro was one one hundred eighteen, I believe, at the time, and and I mean obviously that's that's not an opponent who's that who's as dangerous. I think the only person Djokovic can lose to is probably himself, like you know, the 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 pressure of expectations because he clearly wants this a lot, like with with all the competitors. Uh, you know, Djokovic and uh, Djokovic, Federer and Nadal pulling out. Like, you know, some one would expect Djokovic to maybe also do it, but you know, he he clearly wants to have an Olympic medal. I think it's especially important. The Olympics are especially important in smaller countries who don't really get these many chances as the States or UK in other sports. So so that's why Djokovic really wants this from for Serbia probably, and he still hasn't doesn't have a single Olympic medal. Uh, you know. And, all the all his other uh, biggest competitors have have one, so I think the only thing that can really you know that can, that can hamper him here is is the pressure. Uh, other than that, I mean, Medvedev is is always one to look at on on in these slow hardcore conditions, but I I'm I'm kind of excited for Diego Schwartzman and maybe Pablo Carreño Busta even. Uh, I I think the the these well. We still haven't seen a single set of tennis, but uh, the, the the you know the, 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 there they were re- there were some reports that the conditions were pretty slow. I rem- I think it was the Dutch, someone from the Dutch team, that said that they expected it to be very fast in order to sweet Osaka, mm-hmm. but then in reality it turned out it's turned out that the the hard courts don't really play that uh, that quick. So guys like Karenio Pusta, Schwartzman, I think have have a very good outside chance. But I generally wouldn't look past Djokovic. I mean, it's it's all in his hands, it seems. Mm-hmm. And uh, I don't know. As you said, he he's probably a favorite against the field. So that's that's absolutely crazy. But it was very similar to Wimbledon, and we we've seen that it was absolutely right that, that that he should have been the favorite against the field obviously it's way more exciting on the on the women's side that's where we have i think we as poles have a better chance at at medal uh, at a medal uh, but that all relies on Shiontek beating osaka uh, probably obviously uh, but osaka has a pretty pretty nice draw outside of golubic who's who's been playing very well in 2021 i think she, she can get really far especially as she hasn't played in a while and while 
this might make her rusty, but I think she's also going to be extremely hungry to win it. Like not, not, not competing for a while. I think she's going to have such drive and just want this so much that she's going to be extremely dangerous. And I don't know that, that Osaka is my pick for the title. Maybe it's boring. Maybe it's, it's what everyone is going to go for. But I mean, uh, Maria Sakari could be a dark horse for me. I think she also seems to uh, do very well when she represents her country, which is an interesting aspect to look at because we, we obviously don't get points here. We we don't get money, so it's just you know the Olympic glory, sort of. And uh, no, I mean uh, Sakari is in the same half as, as Osaka, I believe. Yes. So, but but it's, Osaka is, is someone I'm definitely looking at as the as the biggest favorite to win it. But if mm-hmm. if I was to say who has a better chance to to get a medal, then I would still go Świątek rather than Hurkacz. Uh, but as I said, I, I I never really know what to expect from Hubert Hurkacz. He can no, he can lose to anyone and he can beat anyone. It that's seems. what makes him so fun, right? That's what makes him so special. But no, I I, I agree. It, it, it's tough to. Um... I mean, it's tough across the board. I think both, yeah, it's it's Djokovic's to lose, and then the women's side name out a hat out of a hat, and anyone obviously can win any event. Um, no, it certainly more than anything else, what we're trying to convey. There's much to be excited about right now in the tennis world, whether it's at the challenger level, whether it's at the ATP WTA Tour level, whether it's of course an event as prestigious as the Olympic Games. And of course, Damien, we appreciate you coming on today's show to talk about all of that action. And as I mentioned at the top, our listeners can hear you every Monday, right? ATP Challenger Tour show on our Great Shout podcast. They can also read you on our website, crackrackets.com. What do you have planned for us next week? Another Challenger show with Jakob. You guys going to talk a little Olympics? Uh, the Olympics, probably not. We have a few players that yeah, there are four we challengers talk to about. talk about. Yeah, yeah so I there's mean, there's plenty to talk about. Yeah, I think we're gonna stay stay with the with the challengers. We we also talk about Grand Slam qualies on the on the podcast. Mm-hmm. We decided to to implement that, but I mean, the Olympics, we we only have like a couple of these players that we usually get to talk about. But I mean, with four challengers to preview and with four challengers to to you know, to talk about to recap, I don't think we're gonna have time for anything else. <laughs> but yeah, I, I can I can definitely invite the the ones who are listening to 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 join us on Monday as well. We try to do that, you know, maintain a balance between informative and fun there and. and there and uh we're definitely having a lot of fun and we're hoping that the the listeners are having it too (laughs) Mm -hmm. no well this listener certainly is and i believe our other listeners are as well and again it has been such uh such a pleasure to have you as a new part of our crack rackets family again we're going to get you on this podcast more frequently I'm going to start responding to messages in a proper amount of time as well. So, again, uh, Damien, thank you, as always, for taking the time. What's the Twitter handle? Where can everyone follow you? Uh, that's just my my name, Damian Kust. Uh, so, yeah, I changed that quite recently. So that that's, it would be easier. Uh, yeah, I mean, that, yeah, I'm building my brand, so to speak. <laughs> yeah, I, I like it. I like it. And, again, I, I'm going to have to send over some articles, ideas I have floating around in my mind as well because it's been too long since we've seen you appear on the website. But, of course, Damien, thank you, as always, for taking the time. Be safe. Be healthy. We'll talk to you soon, my friend. 
it's Kaylee Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to 60% on hotels. So whether it's Cousin Kevin's Kazoo concert in Kansas City, go Kevin! Or Becky's Bachelorette Bash in Bermuda. You never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. Go to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price, Priceline. Hope all of you enjoyed today's conversation with Cracked Rackets contributor Damian Kust. A huge thank you to him, as always, for taking the time to chat. Again, you can hear him every Monday hosting an ATP Challenger-centric podcast on the Great Shot podcast feed. You can read his thoughts on our website, CrackedRackets.com, as well. Follow him at Damian Kust. But, of course, he is one of many fantastic guests we've been fortunate enough to have late of late here on our Cracked Rackets shows over on that GSP feed. If you want to hear from David Kane, Jeff Sackman, Gary Nathan, Ben Rothenberg, David Gertler. You can, over the course of these past few weeks, we've had them on to preview all of the upcoming action. So if you've missed any of those podcasts, hop on over to that Great Shot podcast feed. Of course, like, rate, subscribe, review to this podcast, that podcast, the Cracked Interview Show, where we've had Sam Riffis, NCAA champ of Florida, Pat Harper, Adam Walton, NCAA champs out of Tennessee of late as well. Of course, if you need the more immediate updates, Twitter, Instagram, Facebook, Facebook, YouTube. We are at Crack Rackets. You want to message me directly? I am at Great Shot Pod. A shout out, as always, to our super producers, Max Fliegner and Daniel Westoff, for the <laughs> of an editing job they do day in, day out. A shout out, as well, to our friends over at Tennis Point. Remember, it's tennis point.com. The promo code is CR15. With all of that said, for our wonderful guests, Damian Koos, super producers, Fliegner and Westoff, our friends at Tennis Point, and from all of us here at both Crack Rackets and the Tennis Channel Podcast Network, I'm your host, Alex Gruskin. You know what we say that's the break and we will see you all tomorrow thanks everyone when you need mealtime inspiration it's worth shopping kroger where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie and no matter what tasty choice you make you'll enjoy our everyday low prices plus extra ways to save like digital coupons worth over $600 each week you can also save up to one dollar off per gallon at the pump with fuel points more savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping kroger worth it every time kroger fresh for everyone fuel restrictions apply another day is here and you're ready for it what to wear check breakfast lunch and dinner check planning for what's next and how to save for it that's where bank of america can help For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE.